Dear friends in Jesus Christ, as we think about our lives in Christ, I hope all of us come to the conclusion that there is absolutely nothing else more important, nothing even close, apart from our relationship with Jesus Christ. That should be everything to us. Well, today, I'm focusing on Jesus being the key to our lives and asking everyone, even all of us who say we are in Christ, I'm asking all of us, what are we doing with Jesus? So we can say, oh, he's most important, but when he really is most important, then how is he part of our daily lives? That's gonna be there when he is most important. When we think about Jesus being the key, think about a key maybe to your car or to your house, even though of course people have all kinds of electronic gadgets nowadays and maybe they don't need a key anymore, but you need something though to be able to enter something that is locked. Well, Jesus, we could say he is the key to heaven. When we have him, then heaven is open and God will welcome us in. When we reject him, then heaven is closed and no matter who we are, no matter what we do, no matter how much money we might give, heaven will remain locked. Let's take a look now as to who Jesus is. And I wanna do something somewhat chronologically here, just for a couple minutes, trying to pick up as to explain who he is. So taking a look at it like this, who is Jesus? Well, certainly he's God's son. He's the one promised to Adam and Eve. He's the one clothed in flesh through the Virgin Mary, looked like an ordinary man, but yet God in flesh. He's the one that was announced by angels, pretty spectacular. He's also the one visited by shepherds on the, on the night he was born, and then by wise men maybe a couple months later. So these are all like extraordinary things that happen with our Lord Jesus Christ. And then jumping way ahead because God doesn't tell us a lot about what happened between the visit from the Magi and then Jesus beginning his ministry. We have a little bit, but not much. But jumping ahead though a lot of years, we come to when God the Father himself anointed his son with the Holy Spirit to be the Christ, to be the Messiah. So that's when he steps into that role. That's when he begins his ministry and then accompanied now by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit not only came down upon him, but remained with him. And what did the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit led him out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So he was tempted in every way, yet he did not sin. What happened then? The Bible tells us that he returned then to Nazareth, the place where he grew up, and you would think that people would be so happy when he read the scripture there in the synagogue in Nazareth, and he identified himself as the very Messiah, the one that everyone had been waiting for for 4,000 years. He said to them, I am the guy. And what did they do? They tried to murder him. Isn't that like the saddest thing? They just couldn't 
understand how he could be the one, and they tried to murder him. Well, think about it like this. The main question here today, knowing that Jesus is your key to your fabulous eternity, well, getting back to the question, what are you doing with Jesus? These are important things. So I tried to go a little bit chronologically there, and now we find ourselves up to our text. So we're in Matthew chapter 4, we're picking up in verse 12, and really with what we're picking up on now, it is right after Jesus was rejected there in Nazareth. So going to the text, the Bible says, Now when Jesus heard that John the baptizer had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the Sea of Galilee, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. The Bible goes on to say, this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, that would be found in Isaiah chapter 9, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. So what does that all mean? Trying to give a little bit of understanding here, I wanted to share these couple maps with you. So if you take a look at the map on the left, you can see we have the areas where the 12 tribes settled in Israel, and they put a circle around the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali. So it's right up there. You can, see, uh, you can see the Sea of Galilee right there to the east of where those tribes were settled. So that was the situation after God used Joshua to lead the people into the promised land and finally after a period of time, finally the 12 tribes were settled. So that's where those two tribes were. And then with the other map, I have a circle there, and it's covering the same location. It's a little bit closer view of the map, but the same location. And what area is that in Jesus' time? That is the region of Galilee. So that is the place where people were in darkness. They were in the darkness because of their sin. They did not know the truth. So just as prophesied in the Old Testament, Jesus goes and he settles in that area. And who is he? He is the true light of the world. So we have people in great darkness and then such a great blessing that the true light comes and settles right in their area. So always, whatever the Bible says, it's going to happen just as it says. And this is one of many, many examples of that. So thinking about what it said in the text there I read so far, it said that John was arrested. That's a sad thing for John, and maybe it was hard to understand for him at the time. But think about it like this, though. So John, most important of all the Old Testament prophets. So God raised him up in a miraculous way from Zechariah and Elizabeth. He grew up in a different manner. God called him to serve out in the wilderness and to baptize people for the forgiveness of sins. So John did all that work, and what was he doing? He was pointing people to Jesus, getting ready for Jesus. 
And then when Jesus comes on the scene, what happens? John is put in prison, so he's kind of taken out of the picture, and now the spotlight is put upon Jesus. Now it's his time. So John did fulfill exactly what God called him to do. Maybe John expected more, we don't know, but John did exactly what God called him to do, and now the focus is on Jesus. That's a little bit of what we see in this section. And then when we think about Capernaum, just a little bit of a close-up here, you can see some of the cities that were right there around the Sea of Galilee. But think about our nation even today. If you look at the larger population areas in our nation, where are they? They are by areas of water, whether it's a river or a body of water of some kind, that's where people tend to live because you can travel easier, you can get goods in and out and so on. So a long time ago, people were living near the Sea of Galilee. It makes sense that Jesus would go there to Capernaum, right on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. We think about real estate today. What are the three key things with real estate today? Yeah, you know them. Location, location, location. So here is Jesus in a great location to do his ministry in this area. He can interact with the people living on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He can easily travel across by boat to get to the other side quickly and all kinds of great things living in that area. Let's go on. So we're picking up now in verse 17 and the Bible says, from that time, in other words, right after settling in Capernaum, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Thinking about the life that we're living now, if this life is all there is, no eternity, this is it, we live this life, we die, it's all over. If that's the case, hey, forget about repentance, let's eat, drink, and be merry, let's have a great time, when we die, it's all over. The thing is, though, this life is not the end. To put it this way, this life is kind of like a drop in the bucket in comparison to eternity. You know, that's so hard to get through our minds, isn't it? Because this life can seem very long. Now, my job isn't like this today, but I had jobs years ago where I'm watching the clock and I'm thinking the clock is broken. Like I have to work so many hours and I'm like, boy, I, my job is miserable and that clock isn't moving and yet time can be like forever. However, though, God just wants us to know that no matter how long this life seems, it is so short in comparison to forever. When we think about this life, this life is really preparing us for what is to come. So God wants us to be thinking about what's going on now because what's going on now is giving us a bit of an understanding of what is coming. So there are only two locations that are coming. One location is super wonderful and we can only get there through Jesus Christ. The other location is super horrible. So the one that is super wonderful, how do we get there? There's nothing we can do, but God is offering us his precious gift. He wants us to know how desperately we need it, and then God enables us to receive that precious gift. 
What about people who end up in the super horrible place? God is persistent in offering the gift and showing people they need the gift. And what do people do sometimes? They are so persistent in rejecting and rejecting and rejecting that finally they end up in the horrible place. Boy, God doesn't want that for anyone. Uh, he wants us to know that repentance, that is the only way to be in the super wonderful place. Repentance is so important. That's why Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what is repentance? Well, repentance, first of all, is admitting that we are helpless. I didn't know I was helpless myself until God made it clear to me that I had to be as perfect as God. As soon as I read that in the Bible, oh, that's it, I'm helpless, because I knew I couldn't be as perfect as God. Prior to that, I thought, well, maybe good is good enough. But perfection, when we know that that is God's requirement, then we should know, oh, we are helpless. And then mourning over our sin. When we think about a loved one passing away, that brings separation between us, and that causes us to mourn. What is the Bible talking about mourning over in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4? In that verse, it is talking about mourning over our sin. And why should mourning over our sin even be greater than mourning over a loved one who has died? Our sin separates us from God. So we are the ones who have sinned. We are the ones who caused the separation. And we should mourn over that sin because of that separation. That is the proper way to view our sin, to be so sad about it because we have pushed God out of our lives. We have brought the separation. God wants us to know that's important. And then when we know we are helpless, when we are looking upon our sins in a proper way, maybe a little bit like our confession today based on Psalm 51, when we're at that point, then God knows what we need. God knows we're ready for it. And God gives us that gift of Jesus. That is repentance. What are the results of that? Then we are hungry for the word of God. Think about how our human bodies are physically. If we don't eat for a while, we become very hungry. Not quite sure on that? Well, why don't you postpone eating until maybe, maybe Tuesday? Wait until Tuesday to eat and see if you're pretty hungry. If you are, then you will know, oh, I just confirmed it, my body is alive. So spiritually, when God makes us spiritually alive, then we have a hunger for the word. Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So we are eating the word of God that is our spiritual food, and then, not only are we into the word of God, but by the work of the Holy Spirit, he has convinced us that we know this book is true. So many people are questioning the Bible, and yet, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we know this book is true. We don't care what anybody else says. God has made it known to us this book is true. And then, what do we do as we're reading it we are understanding what happened a long time ago. 
the Holy Spirit is showing us how it is relevant to our lives today, and then we're wanting to live it out in our lives. That's how we bring glory to our great God who has made us, who has saved us, who has promised us an awesome eternity. Now we go on to the third part here, talking about Jesus gathering his disciples. And in these two sections, we have to have a little bit more information. I say that because we see Jesus, if this is all we knew, it would be as if he met these guys for the first time. He said, follow me, and right away they followed. But that's not the case, so we know that they become acquainted already. And now when he says, follow me, yes, they do follow, but that's because they've already gotten to know Jesus. By the power of the Holy Spirit, they know he is the Messiah. They have their faith in him as their Savior. So when the time comes that they are requested to follow, they are so glad to follow. Let's see what it says here. Picking up in verse 18, now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. So again, they knew him already, they had faith in him as their savior, and they understood the great privilege that they were being called into, called personally by Jesus to follow him, to stop fishing for fish and begin fishing for men. So quite an extraordinary thing here. Well, let me mention this now. I think it's a pertinent time. Let's understand, based on Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that for every single believer, God has planned certain good works that every believer should do. So when God brings us to Christ, God wants us to understand that we are not just saved, but we are now in his kingdom, and he wants us to function as ones who are saved. And part of that function is he wants us to seek out and follow whatever his will is for our lives. He has laid out the plans already, and he wants us to know them and to follow them. I think one of the hard things is actually knowing for certain what to do. Like when I think back decades ago now, and I, I sensed that God wanted me to go to the seminary and study to become a pastor. But I wasn't quite sure, though. And I remember asking a number of times, I said, Jesus, couldn't you just like sit on the end of my bed one night for like even like 30 seconds and just like confirm it to me in the most crystal clear manner? And then, no problem, I will sell my home, I'll quit my job, I'll pack up everything, and I'll move to another state. Well, he never did that. However, though, there were like all these different little things that God was working and just like convincing me more and more, and like all these different things that seemed impossible, just like kept falling into place. So God had another way of, of making that known to me. But 
maybe for us, what can we do? First of all, we should be in the Bible and looking in there, and God will show us certainly important things from the Bible. We should be calling out to God in prayer and saying, God, what is your will for my life? What plans do you have for me? And then maybe another way, if we think about things that we are able to do. So maybe that would represent this arm, things we're able to do. And then this arm maybe would be things that we enjoy doing. And then maybe we could kind of see where they intersect. So something I can do, something I like doing. But not that that's always the case either, though. Uh, if you know me from years ago, you would know that not in a million years would I stand up here and preach a sermon. So when the Holy Spirit comes, though, he can convince us from the Bible that everything is possible. So I'm up here today, not because of me, it's all the work of God. So when God puts something before us and we're like, oh, I could never do that, let's know that is never true. God can work anything and everything through every single one of us because it's not us, but rather it is God working through us. So let's never ignore what God wants us to do. When I think about that word, it takes me back to seminary. There were a number of men in my seminary class who were in their 40s, and a number of them were saying, God has been prodding me to come to seminary for 20 years, and finally I'm here. What were they doing, really? They were ignoring, 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 and finally they gave in, if you will, and here they were at seminary studying to be pastors. So rather, God wants us to be sensitive to his will for our lives and then to follow knowing it's going to be best, knowing it's going to bring him glory, and we're going to be glad that we did. Can you imagine coming to the very end of your life you're on the bed that you're going to die in, and you think back to your life, are you ever going to regret following the will of God? By no means. That's going to put a smile on your face as God's ready to take you home to heaven. Okay, well, going on here, we just talked about Peter and Andrew, and now we come to James and John. Before I can read this, though, we have to think about what happened there in Luke chapter 5. So that is when... Peter and Andrew had been out fishing all night, caught nothing. And then they encounter Jesus on the shore. Jesus convinces them to go out and let their nets down again. Peter, it makes no sense to him. You have a better chance of catching fish at night, not during the day. Reluctantly, he goes out. They catch so many fish, their boat is sinking, so they have to call over James and John to take half the fish, and then they have this great catch like they've never had before. So they've already experienced that. And now the Bible says here, going on from calling Peter and Andrew, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. So the Holy Spirit was certainly at work getting them ready for that call. Thinking about the Holy Spirit... The Holy Spirit is like a holy fire. Over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it tells us, do not quench the Spirit. Imagine if there was a fire here, 
and I had a five-gallon bucket of water, I could pour it on that fire, and maybe it would quench that fire. Sometimes, maybe we can think about doing that. Like maybe the Holy Spirit is prodding us to say something or to do something, and we're like, oh, I'm, I'm afraid to say that. I'm afraid to do that. It might be a bad outcome, you know, if I take action. So then we want to take the bucket of water and pour it on the Holy Spirit. But the Bible is saying, do not quench the Spirit, but rather be open to the work of the Spirit. Be in tune with the Spirit. Be sensitive to to the Spirit. Follow along with Him, and that's going to be the very best thing. And then going on further here, verse 23 Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, so now he has some disciples with him, going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. So what did he teach? He's bringing God's truth. What is the good news? That all who repent and believe will be saved. What did Jesus heal? He healed absolutely everything. Imagine Jesus showing up in Parma, Ohio, going to Parma Hospital, taking the elevator to the ninth floor, and then beginning to go from room to room. And everyone is immediately and fully healed. And now all these people are streaming out of the hospital. And he would just go right down from the top floor all the way to the bottom. Wouldn't that news like so quickly in today's world, that news would almost immediately reach around the entire world what had happened. It would be so amazing. Now, now University Hospital would be so disappointed, probably. However, though, it would be such amazing news. And what would happen? People from the whole world would be bringing their sick in order to have Jesus heal them too. That's a little bit what we have going on here. So it tells us in verse 24, the news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering from various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. He healed all of them. So amazing what was going on. Let me put up this map I have here. You can see the major areas. So we have Syria, Galilee, Samaria, the Decapolis, Perea, Judea. So these are all mentioned here in this verse. It's really a pretty big area if you think about where Jesus was living there uh, up near the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum. But it says here, large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So it's so amazing that these multitudes heard and they followed. Now keep in mind, do people follow Jesus for the wrong reasons? We think about when he fed the 5,000. Many were following him. Why were they following him in some cases? Because they really liked that first meal and they were hoping to get another one just like it. So people can follow for the wrong reasons. Maybe even here, people were following because they wanted themselves or they wanted a loved one to be healed. But may God help us to always follow him, but always do so for the right reason. Understanding that we are sinners, that he is the only savior. And when we're connected to Jesus, everything is gonna be super 
great. Let's always follow him for that reason. Let's always trust in him. Let's always rejoice in him. And let's tell others the good news too so they can have those very same blessings. Let us pray. Dear Holy Spirit, work within us to always keep us sorry, to always keep us saved, and to always keep us honoring our great God in every aspect of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.